Thurston County football star has been missing for more than a year. Detectives are continuing to search for Investigators him. found the young man's car with his wallet and his cell phone inside it. We're not certain that he's dead. We're not certain he's alive. It's what keeps me up at night. Totally out of character for him. Shinobi's family won't give up looking until they get answers. Just desperate to know he's okay. From Sasquatch Productions, this is Hide and Seek. The Investigation of Logan Schindelman. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, welcome back for Season 2 of Hide and Seek. Now for those of you who are new to my show, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first season. Because this season, we're diving into a new case. A case that was brought to my attention early on in Season 1, back when I took my first trip to Tenino to investigate Nancy Moore's disappearance. Here's what happened. I had sent out an invitation for anyone who wanted to talk about the case to meet me and my team at one of the local restaurants. It wasn't long after arriving that a woman approached us as we sat down at a table. As she introduced herself, she gave each of us business cards with the description of a male who went missing in 2016. Titled at the top of the card, $10,000 reward for information leading to his whereabouts. Do you remember that night when you came down? I sure do. I had no idea. I knew that I trusted you, and I'm not sure why I knew, but I just kind of knew that something was going to happen. This is Mary Ware, the woman who asked us to take on her nephew's case. Mary and her husband, Mike, have been leading the charge when it comes to searching for Logan. And while there are lots of other individuals who have supported and continued to help keeping Logan's investigation alive, I tip my hat to Mary and Mike for all of their efforts. I am Logan's great Aunt Mary, Logan's grandmother, Jenny, is my sister. Everything that I've seen about Logan, he was a he was a star athlete. First of all, I mean that's constantly what you see is him in his football uniform and state champion and good kid in school. Didn't wasn't a troublemaker or anything like that. Is that correct? That, that is definitely correct. He he was an extremely likable young man and. Uh, was not at all devious or troublemaker. He was always kind, and it seemed like everybody liked him. For season two, I'll be investigating the disappearance of Logan Schindelman, a 19-year-old male from Tumwater, Washington, who went missing on May 20th, 2016. Side note, Tumwater is within minutes of Tenina, Washington. This means that the case falls into Thurston County Sheriff's territory the same county that takes place in season one where Nancy went missing. When I started reaching out to people who knew Logan, they all said the same thing about the kind of guy he was. Here's a short clip of one of my conversations with Logan's friend. I met him in sixth grade. We were on the same football team. Basically, I met him. We went to school in middle school, seventh and eighth grade, all the way until senior year in high school. I would come to his house when he would have a few friends over after school, and we'd hang out, and his grandma would uh, cook food or, or like pizzas and stuff. We'd play games. Logan was a really nice kid. I thought he was really honest. He was really smart, too. He did well in school. Now, something new and noteworthy with this season is that I've been given support from the sheriff's office right from the beginning of researching this case. Thurston County Sheriff's Office acknowledged the effort and success we had in season one. So I want to take a moment to say thank you to Thurston County Sheriff's Office for working with me. It's very rare for law enforcement ever to share what they have on a case. Now, with that being said, I got my hands on the complete case file. You guys are going to hear information that is personal and sensitive. Text messages, search history, call history. I'm going to share what I believe to be relevant. But as you can imagine, it's easy to dive through a 19-year-old's phone and go down rabbit holes, which has happened at times. In order for us to get any closer to finding out the truth, I feel like we need to know who Logan was. Who was Logan? Logan was a young adult who graduated from Tumwater High School in 2014. He attended Washington State University for a year and returned home with the plans to attend community college. He was on the verge of exploring life's adventures. He was a good-looking kid, figuring out what he wanted to do with his life. But unfortunately, that was all brought to a halt one spring afternoon when his car was found abandoned on the interstate. On May 20th, 2016, Logan's car had been reported drifting across southbound lanes on I-5. When the vehicle was impounded, his personal belongings were found inside the car, including his cell phone, wallet, and driver's license. 
On the front passenger seat of the 1997 black Chrysler Sebring were two brown paper bags and another on the floor. Inside one of the bags were two Nature Valley granola bars. One appeared to have been eaten while the other looked unopened. Inside the same bag, they found cash, $24, two tens and four ones. From the images that were taken, you can't tell if the brown bags are from a grocery store or a fast food joint. Next to the bags on the seat, you can see an empty Essentia brand water bottle and an empty naked juice bottle. In one of his cup holders, there was change along with a couple of toothpicks, while in the other, a Swisher Sweet that appears to be recently open, laying on top of the wrapper. For those who are unfamiliar with Swisher Sweets, it's originally wrapped with tobacco to smoke, but commonly you'll find people who will empty the wrapper and fill it with marijuana. He had some other miscellaneous items lying around, such as a gold bond intensive healing cream, a pen, towel in the back seat, and a red bag that's next to the towel. I've never been able to see what was inside that red bag, but it appears that it wasn't anything important as no pictures were taken. Allow me to take you through what happened on I-5, Friday, May 20th. 2016. The time is 3.07 p.m. and three different witnesses have dialed 911 to report a car that is drifting across the highway. I had a chance to speak with these callers. Here's what the first caller remembers. We were leaving for the weekend. We had stopped at the rest stop and we left the rest stop just before where the car was. I noticed the car on the right-hand side of the road and I told my husband, I said, well, that wasn't very smart leaving your door wide open. Because the door was open. My husband said I probably jumped out to take a pee and he'll be back. Next thing we know, the same car is just trolling out in the middle of the freeway. He was going to hit us. My husband got the gas going and we got by. My concern was he was going to hit the trailer. We were pulling the 38-foot trailer. But what's strange is, is the door was still open and no one was in the car. We never saw anybody. That's why we thought he maybe went back behind the trees to, you know, go to the bathroom. And then the car started rolling out. And I went, oh, crap, it's coming this way. And so my husband and I, you know, kind of slowed down. And then he says, oh, we got to get out of here. He's going to get us. So he took off. And I was looking in the open door. I saw a flowery pink, like covers on the seats. And there was nobody there. Nobody in the front seat. When it started uh-huh. rolling into traffic, I, I would imagine at slow speeds, correct? Very slow. I mean, it was just like... Roll down go. the hill. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. The second call is from a married couple. Here's what they remember. So the things that we can, we can be sure of is we were driving home from our vacation. I can recall sitting in the car, wrong driving noticing off the peripheral side that there's a car coming across the lanes of traffic and feeling kind of shocked and what am I seeing about that. I can visualize those moments. We're southbound, we're in I-5, we're in the furthest lane and other traffic is going. It's not packed traffic. I was surprised totally that it was able to come across all three lanes of traffic and hit the barrier without it being hit by other moving traffic. And we were able to get past it once it hit the barrier and and not collide with it. Okay. I was surprised it had the momentum to make it to the barrier. Maybe someone had left it, forgot to put it in a park or emergency breakout, stepped out to use the woods for the bathroom or something, and, and it got away from them. It, the whole thing didn't make any sense. The way it was traveling across, it wasn't traveling with our traffic, it was traveling across traffic wasn't coming across as a 90 degree angle and it wasn't coming with us. If I look, you know, old time, think of the face of a clock, my impression would have been more like it was partway between the nine o'clock and noon angle of a clock. We were able to travel just past it and stop and get out and basically say, you know, what happened and, and is the driver hurt? Did he collapse so that we can't see him? But the EMT guy who also had stopped is the one who actually checked and said there's no one in there, which left all of us very perplexed. Okay, so let's recap. Witness number one and her husband had just merged on to I-5 going south. They are in the far right lane. Now, the witness spots Logan's car at approximately a quarter mile down the road and sees that the driver's side door is open. And that's when her and her husband realize that the Chrysler Sebring is now starting to roll into their lane. The husband accelerates, moves to the middle lane to avoid an accident. Now, while passing Logan's car, 
The wife glances over as they're passing and remembers seeing some sort of pink seat cover or a blanket that had a flower pattern on it. This part of her testimony is odd because Logan didn't have seat covers, nor was there a pink blanket inside the vehicle when it was recovered. Witness number two, the married couple. They are in the far left lane, commonly known as the passing lane. Now, as the couple are driving, the wife, who is sitting in the passenger seat, quickly realizes that Logan's car is rolling into traffic and coming into their lane, and as she puts it, at a strong angle. The husband slows down to avoid the Sebring, allowing it to cross in front of them, and then eventually colliding with the barrier and then coming to a stop. They pull over in front of Logan's car to help and notice that an EMT is on scene checking to see if someone is injured. That's when they all realize that no one is in the vehicle and the married couple proceed to their destination. This brings us to witness number three, and his name is Carlos Cerrone. And Carlos's testimony has one thing that is drastically different compared to the first two witnesses that you've already heard from. Carlos was heading northbound on I-5, the opposite direction Logan's car and the previous two witnesses were going. Carlos is a truck driver who's traveling from California to Seattle. He claims to have witnessed seeing Logan's car crossing lanes of traffic, just like the first two witnesses. But he also sees something that the other two don't. He sees someone fleeing the vehicle. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get in contact with Carlos. Now, everything Carlos says matches up with the other two witnesses say except that major detail. He claims to have seen a male jump out of the passenger side door while the vehicle was moving across lanes of traffic and run into the woods. When Logan went missing, the detective handling Logan's case was Detective Beale. Detective Beale contacted Carlos to try and get a more detailed testimony of what he remembered. Carlos wrote the following email to Detective Beale. My name is Carlos Cerrone. I'm writing the truth and only from what I saw. Last week, I was driving my truck 2010 International. I am a truck driver. I was driving from California to Washington, Seattle, I-5 North. Two miles away from exit 95 North, I looked to my left side and saw a black car with driving door in motion like three to five miles per hour in the freeway north to south and one white person when the car is in motion like three or five miles per hour. He opened the passenger side door and he jumped to the forest. He was moving alone. I called 911 and reported from my cell. He looked like 21 to 27 years old. He dressed in black shirt, black pants. He weighed like 160 to 170 pounds. He is skinny, 6 to 7 feet tall. The hair looked like brown curly. He was using a hat. After reading the email, you have to sit back and digest and process what each testimony meant. How and what each person remembers seeing during those 3 to 7 seconds and what made the most logical sense. Who was the white male? How did Carlos see a white male jump from the car, but the other witnesses didn't? How come the car started rolling forward? Would it roll forward if it was in neutral, or did it need to be in drive? Were the keys in the ignition? Was the car still on when State Patrol arrived? If Logan's six foot was his seat in the same position he would normally drive it, why leave the car on if you're abandoning it? You see, the details matter when dealing with a case like Logan's, because nothing makes sense. So, where to begin? I started answering those questions by looking over the incident report. This is what's documented when dispatch initially takes the call. Witness 1 and 2 both told me the same testimony as they did over four years ago. They don't have the case file like I do, so it's good to know that nothing's changed from their memory. I also chose not to share or reveal what the others said because I wanted to see how much their stories lined up. I looked over the dispatcher's notes on Carlos's call. It says the following. Witness advised white male, black shirt, black pants, slender build, ran across southbound lanes into woods. So something to consider when processing all of this is you have three to seven seconds going 60 miles per hour to take in the scene and then tell us what you observed. For witness one and two, they were more in a position of trying to avoid an accident. So their attention and focus could be different than Carlos's. Remember that he's going the opposite direction and isn't concerned that he's about to get into an accident. Is it possible for him to see something else that the first two didn't? Sure. In order for me to get answers to some of these questions, I had to go to the location that Logan's car was abandoned. What I can tell you is this. When traveling northbound, the same way Carlos was, in my car, a Chrysler 300, there's no way I could see the other side of the freeway. At least not clearly enough to see the other drivers, which takes away the equation of me being able to see another person jump out of a car and run across lanes of traffic. 
meaning Carlos's testimony would be invalid. Now, maybe if I had a truck or an SUV, something where I was sitting a little bit higher, I'd say that's definitely possible. But again, Carlos isn't driving just a normal truck. It's a semi. So obviously he had a higher vantage point than most of the other drivers. So yes, what he saw adds more validity to his testimony knowing that he's in a position to see the opposite side of I-5. I'm gonna keep trying to find Carlos because there's something that witness number one says that I wanna ask Carlos about. Now see, I've heard that there's people that saw a guy get out of the car. There's nobody in that car. Really? I mean, and we were right there. We were the first vehicle to almost get hit by it. So, is it technically possible for witness number one and her husband to go from the far right lane, switch to the middle to avoid an accident, and someone possibly still be in the car, but witness number one doesn't see them while passing? Again, they're going 65 to 70 miles per hour. The other possibility would be that witness number one and her husband, while switching lanes, get past Logan's car, but because of the trailer, are unable to see behind them and never see the white male flee the vehicle? Or is Carlos just horribly wrong? I'm going to keep trying to contact him and I'll let you guys know what comes from it. But let's pick up where we left off. It wasn't long after that point in time, State Patrol arrived to the scene. They found no signs of foul play or blood splatter in the vehicle. The vehicle itself wasn't badly damaged, just some scrape paint off the front left bumper when it made contact with the barrier. The barrier as well was unharmed. Let's say though, that the barrier was damaged. State Patrol would try and contact the registered owner, which happened to be Ginny, Logan's grandma. But instead, State Patrol did check with Thurston County Sheriff's Office to see if the vehicle had been reported missing or stolen. Since no report had been made, State Patrol contacted a local towing company and requested they impound the vehicle. The vehicle was taken to Baker's Towing Yard in Tonino and left there until the following Monday, May 23rd. This is when Logan's grandma was notified and she heads to Baker's Towing Yard to retrieve the vehicle. At this point, having so many questions, who better to go to than the detective himself? I'm going to dive into my conversation with the detective leading the case today, and his name is Detective Frawley. Yeah, how you doing? Good, how are you? It's Friday. Yeah? All I gotta say about that. Detective Frawley is the second detective to take on Logan's case. Well, see, that's kind of the funny part, and, and here's where it gets confusing to people. I, I've been trying to correct it, and the more I tell the story, the more it convoluted it gets. So this happened in May of 2016. It was the first time in my whole career ever, military included, that I took two weeks off. And so I took two weeks off, and Logan went missing. And the case was initially given to Detective Beal. And Detective Beal, who is our computer forensic guy and cell phone guy and all that, he did a lot of work on it. And by the time I got back, I stayed out of it because there was a person of interest that they were looking at. And so I told him I would stay out of the case because I'm a polygraph examiner. So that's kind of how it came initially. That's kind of where the confusion is, because a lot of people will tell you, how can you be the detective and do the polygraph? Because you, if you're the active detective, you become biased one way or the other. And I would never I would never polygraph my own case ever. And so that's one of the things that's always been confusing, and I've tried to get it rectified, but it always comes out that it's my case, it's always been my case, and I gave it the polygraph. Gotcha. So people that are in this business are like, you know, what are you doing, idiot? You're not supposed to do that. And I know that, but anyway. We'll get I kind the of record. a little bit. No, no, no. You can tell that this is something that Frawley has been wanting to get the record straight. He's a cross your T's, dot your I's kind of guy, and it's important to him. It's a good trait to have, especially in his line of work. First thing that sticks out to you about this case. Well, what sticks out is just the, the, the way things happened. I mean, you know, he went missing on the 19th. The, I think the car was found shortly thereafter, like on the 20th. By the time he gets reported to us, the weekend had passed, and uh, I've never been able to find out why Ginny thought to come to uh, the patrol building, which is in Tumwater, which is, is not manned for taking on calls. And then, of course, the sheriff's office here in the building I'm in closed on the weekend. Everybody calls 911, you know. Yeah. I mean, that never happened. It's a fair question that Detective Frawley is asking, is why didn't Ginny, Logan's grandmother, call 911 to file the missing person report? But instead, she wanted to file the missing person report with the sheriff's office. Detective Frawley has just stated that Logan went missing on the 19th, 
and we'll get to that point of narrowing down when exactly Logan went missing. Jenny's growing concerns was enough for her to file the missing person report. This was supposed to take place on Friday, the 20th, but by the time she tries to file the report, the sheriff's office is closed and they're closed all weekend. And so she waited until Monday. She comes in to report Logan missing and she wants to put the car with it. Well, anytime we have a missing person case, and a vehicle, we will run both because we want to see, A, if they've been picked up, you know, if they've got, you know, been arrested, and then, of course, with the vehicle, if been involved in a collision, if been involved in anything, you know. Um, so right away, the, the sergeant that took the, the report said, hey, this car it was impounded. And so they told him where the vehicle was impounded at, and they took the missing person report. And then that's where it started right there. So it was just kind of odd. And the, the problem we have with missing person cases is that people think that as soon as you list a missing person, we're going to send the forces out to looking for them. And that's not the case. We would do that if it was a elderly person, a person with severe mental issues, somebody that, that is a threat to themselves or others. You know, um, when people go missing, they usually turn back up. You know, the other thing we tell everybody is that it's not against a lot of disappear. One of us can disappear and just, you know. And, right. and we've had that happen. And then the other one, which is a little more harsh, is that committing suicide is not against the law. It's not illegal. So, you know, we, we always take an initial report, and then it goes to a detective, and then it gets worked from there. When I was looking at the case, and I was looking at the text messages and the phone calls, obviously he's he's a night owl. He's on his computer at 4.05 a.m. on the 18th, which is a Wednesday, and mm-hmm. he's looking up just random crap, and it's 4.05 a.m. on the 18th, which is the same morning he has that epiphany conversation with Ginny. Mm-hmm. So on Wednesday, the 18th, Logan has a conversation with his grandma Ginny before she leaves for work. The time is somewhere around 7.15, 7.30, which is around the time that Ginny would normally leave for work. Logan tells Ginny that he's had an epiphany as to who he was, and I quote, he was not going to make it. Obviously, Ginny didn't know what Logan meant by that statement, so when Ginny asked him to explain, he wouldn't expound any further on his feelings. Now, this is one of the major regrets Ginny has. She told Logan to stay home and that they could finish their conversation when she gets home from work. Unfortunately, that conversation never takes place. So that's on the 18th. She comes home, he's not there, but he also sends on the 18th to a girl named Carolina. I don't know. Yeah. He goes, hopefully I survive this week. The week that Logan went missing, not only did he tell Jenny that he didn't know if he was going to make it, he said the same thing to a girl named Carolina on Wednesday, the 18th. You were one of the last people that Logan had texted with the day we believe he went missing. How did you and Logan meet? We met online through a dating app, and we had talked for several months. We met on the dating app, and then afterwards, um, we had exchanged phone numbers and then just texted after that. This is Carolina. She's not lying when she said they texted. I have read over 637 text messages between the two of them. And it's what you'd expect from young love. They talk about their favorite food, favorite music, how fast they can clean their room, and saying goodnight with kissing emojis. Now, if you want to get technical about it, which I do, Logan and Carolina were not officially a couple. It was Logan that was not ready to commit to the relationship. And after reading all of their text messages, something you should know about Carolina is that she cared deeply for Logan. Even to this day, during our interview, you can tell that those feelings are still there. She wonders if the relationship would have worked out, almost like a chapter in her romantic life that was never finished. She would often try to arrange a time that the two of them could meet up. Did you guys ever meet face-to-face? No, we were going to meet in April, maybe a month before he went missing, but I lived all the way in Pittsburgh, Oregon, and he was living in, I think, from water, Washington, so that was pretty far of a drive for him. The day that we were supposed to meet, he had said a lot about that there was traffic, and he was trying to take all train other routes, and we ended up not meeting Let's lead up to the week that he goes missing, which starts on the 16th. From the message I see on May 18th, to help you guys better understand the context of the conversation they had, I'm going to read it to you. When are we actually going to hang out or see each other? I don't know. Hopefully I survived this week. Survived this week? Why? What's up? But me too, to be honest. I have testing tomorrow, and I'm stressing. I don't know. You probably know more about it than me. 
I know nothing about the test, and it's a pass or fail, so if I fail, I can't graduate, and I'm stressing so much. Smiley face. I'm like Kevin from The Office when he spent all night making that chili, and it falls on the floor the next day. Wait, what do I know more about? Your survival of this week, or the test I'm taking? That was the last text message you sent him? Yeah. After Jeannie had found out that Logan's vehicle was at Baker's Towing Yard in Tenino, she retrieved the vehicle and brought it back to her residence. While at Baker's Towing Yard, Jeannie notices that Logan's phone is sitting on the front passenger seat, but the phone is now dead. When Jeannie gets back to her house, she plugs the phone in and starts to look through Logan's text message history. And that's when she decides to give Carolina a call to see if she knows Logan's whereabouts. Now, obviously, Carolina does not know where Logan is at. But Logan has told two different individuals on the same day, May 18th, 2016, that he didn't know if he was going to make it. I find that to be extremely odd. What would drive Logan to the point of telling two different individuals the week he goes missing that he didn't know if he was going to make it? Was it fear? Was it depression? Was he in some sort of trouble? I don't know. Before ending my phone call with Carolina, she mentioned something that I hadn't seen in the case file yet. Before him, he had talked about an epiphany he had and that he, he had to figure himself out, but I really couldn't, you know, help him at that time because I didn't know what an epiphany was when he had mentioned it. He had mentioned it to you? Mm-hmm. When did he mention that to you? He mentioned it a few weeks or so before he went with me. I don't remember if he had texted me about it or had told me over the phone, but I know that he had brought it up. I didn't really know how to respond to it. It just came out of nowhere, and I didn't know, like, what he was going to do about it. Do you remember how the rest of the conversation went? Uh, honestly, no. I know he had talked to me about some family issues that were going on. Other than that, I don't really know why he would have had an epiphany or anything. At the end of the day, I'm just a 17-year-old girl who has a crush on this dude, and I can't do anything about his disappearance because I... Not even I got enough information from him, and I was the last one he talked to. I wrapped up my conversation. One of the questions I asked was, did he ever talk to you about being depressed or suicidal? She said, absolutely not. She said that it was never something that she was concerned of. I mean, to me, he says that on the 18th, I feel like there's something, if there's something there that's an actual threat, he's kind of saying it to two different individuals. Right. Did you guys look at all the phone calls before the 18th to see who he was mixing with? See, and again, all that was done by Detective Beal when he had the case. And, and he's good. That's what he does for a living. He's, he's our computer forensic guy. And he digs into phones and, and, and emails and all that kind of stuff. And he had all that information. That, and he had said that he had checked it all out. And it was nothing of nothing. Um, it even came out to the point that he got a hold of Carolina there in um, Oregon. Yeah. And who said that, you know, they had communicated via cell phones, text messages, but they had never met in person. Right. And the parents of hers also said that he had never shown up there so all that was looked at and i don't have all the notes in front of me but knowing that it was all done by beal and, and there was nothing there you know it's i can tell you that, that you know i've gone over the whole case i've even said the whole everything to the state patrol to get fresh eyes on it you know see if they come up with anything and in the same place we're at now to I, say we missed something you know I'm, I'm all for it you know even my conversation with you i mean i might have an epiphany or have a wait a minute in your opinion, from what you recall, did he go missing on the 19th or was it the 20th? Because we still see some texting activity on his phone where he's writing out rap lyrics, even on the 20th. Right. Uh, and, and again, that, that's the part, you know, we're just kind of, you know, that, that's the only thing we don't know. I mean, you know, if, you know, if, he, if he's writing those kind of rap lyrics or anything like that, you would think he's okay, just, you know, mumbling or whatever. Maybe right. he's high, maybe he's whatever. But, you know, you believe for him to be alive because this stuff's coming across the phone, you know. But then again, like I said, then, you know, when everything stops, you know, you're kind of like, why did it stop? You know, and there's theories that the phone was dead. There's theories that he turned the phone off. You know, I mean, who knows? You know, we ended up with the phone. Well, of course, the phone was dead when Tyson got it. And, you know, he's looking at it. He's like, man, everything's in here, you know, but he's not here, you know. You know, everybody says right away, well, nobody would leave with their cell phone. Nobody would ever do this. Nobody would ever do that. Well, sometimes my argument to them is all you got to do is one time. And then we find out they did it that one time. Well, they would have never done that. Well, they did it just one time. And so knowing that, I always take it with a grain of salt. You know, they they would do this. All you got to do is one time. So it's it's kind of weird because, you know, I go into this thing after not being in it all that time. 
doing my part as an examiner and then getting the case and then trying to put life back into it, you know? And so what I've done, my approach has been is that any tip that I get, any tip, I check it out. I want to check the box to say I did it. So that way I don't want to be that guy that finally gets the one tip and, and I'm just like, eh, you, you know, and it. It be the tip. and then yeah. all the work that we've done is going to be for not because I told you and you didn't do anything. So that's been my approach with this this whole time. Recently, we had a, another tip of some weirdo saying he knows what happened to Logan. And, um, we looked, I looked into that here just recently and it turned out to be a nothing, you know, but you, you just, you got, you got to do it, you know? And, and again, here recently, my wife sent me a text and it was me on TV again because ID channel just recently ran the story again, right? And I was waiting for my phone to blow up. And for the first time, it hasn't. Anytime that that thing's aired, my phone blows up. And again, you know, I'm a fool not to at least look at it. What's been common now is because one of the theories that we had, we had three theories. One is that he he became a victim of foul play. The other one was he wanted to find the black side and somehow managed to get out of the country and he's with his father in Saudi Arabia. And the third one is that he was actually gay and was afraid to admit being gay, but now he's doing the gay thing because I've had calls around the country and they all are gay themed, but I've never been able to find him. I did have one call about a year ago. This guy calls me out of the blue and he says, hey man, I just saw the show. Um, I've seen that dude. He's at my gym all the time. It looks just like him. And so we get in a big conversation, texting and everything. I'm like, dude, can you please take a picture of him, man, if you can? And he's kind of afraid. And I'm like, he's not in trouble, man. He's, and he's like, yeah, I still don't want to take his picture, you know, because he's kind of, you know, he's a black dude. And he's, he's a little bigger now. And I said, dude, just please give me some. So he does. He gets me some pictures. And I look at him. And I'm like, damn, boy, that looks like him. And that's one of the tips that I actually give to Mary and, and the genie because I'm just like, all the tips that I get, I never call him. I don't want to give them right. So, and they're both like, man, Mary's like, it could be. Jenny said, yep, no, no way. So I get lucky enough to get a hold of a deputy there on the East Coast. And he's like, hey, man, I'll check it out for you. And he says, I know this kid, man. He grew up a county over or whatever, right? And so he goes, he talks to the guy. And the guy says, man, that does look like me. That's not me, you know. I've had sightings at DOL and Centralia, sightings in Mason County, Grace Harbor County, Louisiana. <laughs> And these are just a few examples of tips that he's had to follow up with. But I want to address one of the things that Detective Farley mentioned, and that was the theories. He said they have three theories. Either one, Logan was a victim of foul play. Two, he was able to leave the country without anybody knowing it. And three, Logan is gay and chose to leave for the reasons of his family maybe not accepting that decision. Now, I've looked at Logan's phone. I've seen his search history. I've seen his web browser history. I've seen the Snapchats. Nothing on his phone says that Logan was gay. As for theory number two, Logan was able to leave the country in some sort of way of not needing his driver's license or his passport. And why would Logan do that? Well, the theory is, is that Logan left the country to go live with his dad in Saudi Arabia. Now, if you're naturally wondering, how would Logan get out of the country without a passport? Well, oddly enough, Logan's dad chose a career path that deals with airplanes. I've heard he's a pilot, I've heard he's an engineer, but that would be the theory, is that he left the country to go live with his dad. And somehow, his dad was able to get him out of the country. It has to do with the airlines, and, and I thought for some reason, I thought I was a pilot. I wasn't totally certain, but I knew he was up here going to school, and something to do with aviation, so... And even Detective Deal had followed him all the way. He was in Australia for years and years and years, until 2015, he was in Perth, Australia. And then in 2015, he had gone back to Saudi Arabia. So that was just a year before Logan was missing. And because Logan on his Facebook page saying he was in Miami or from Miami, you know, you know, playing devil's advocate with it, thinking if you do get down to Miami, you get out of the country. You know, if you think you can, you can. And then if you get down to Cuba or something like that, you know, then you get a flight to go anywhere you need to go. And then if his dad was in the airline and he got a hold of him, you know, right. he was able to help him get out of the country, you know. Have you made contact with his dad at all since? No. And I don't even recall, as you're talking about, I don't even recall if he was ever contacted, period, and may not even know he had a child. I can't confirm with you that Detective Beale nor Detective Frawley have never spoken with Logan's dad. And Logan's dad's name is Adele Barnaby. I have to figure out a way to be able to get in contact with him. His social media pages don't show any activity for the last four years. And how does one search for a phone number in a different country? I guess I should try the phone number he had when he was living here. Welcome to Verizon Wireless. Yeah, it's never that easy.
I'll keep trying to get in contact with him and let you guys know what I come up with. So now at this point, I think it's time we give Jeannie a call. You are Logan's grandmother, and your daughter is Hannah. Yes. Okay, real quick. Logan's family dynamic isn't what you'd call normal. Logan didn't grow up in a home where mom and dad are together. His father was never present. It actually wasn't until Logan was in high school that he knew who his father was. His mother, Hannah, wasn't around much either, from what I've been told. When Logan was young, his grandmother Jenny took in both Logan and his half-sister Chloe. Was that because, from what I read, it was because she was going to school and it was going to be easier for you to be able to help the kids and take care of them while she was in school. Is that correct? Uh, No, she was working in Seattle and thinking about going to school, and she wanted me to take care of the kids. And then we ran into um, Logan had asthma and needed medical assistance, and she had no insurance. So the only way I could add them to my insurance was to have custody of them. How was he as a kid? He was funny. Okay. (laughs) Kind of like he was growing up. He was funny and uh, smart, into things a lot, and cautious. We were trying to, he was learning to talk, and we were trying to get him to say cinnamon, mainly because it was funny. He cried like two times, and then he walked away. About three weeks later, he came out to me and he said, Cinnamon. That was how his little mind worked. And I was always worried he'd get in math class and, you know, try to do some math problem that was way above what he'd learned as he went along. That didn't turn out to be that way, thank goodness. And through the years, he wasn't, like, getting suspended. He didn't have any kind of record of having drugs on him at school. He didn't get in trouble for anything like that. No, not through high school. Although I do know that they were probably doing... Um, I know they were smoking pot senior year. Was this a a common thing for him his senior year? I don't think it was every day from time to time. He then decides that he's going to go to Wazoo. What made him choose Wazoo? I really don't know. His first decision was to go to um, Eastern with his friend. And then there were, there ended up at a party where he felt like people were making fun of him and his friends weren't standing up for him. So he didn't want to go to Eastern anymore, and he decided he wanted to go to to WSU. So this was before going to college. So I'm imagining, is this his senior year? This is his senior year, right towards the end of it. Okay. At this party, race gets brought up, and he gets singled out. Is that right? Yeah, that's what he felt like. I asked a couple of his friends, and they told me that they didn't see that happen. But he certainly, certainly came home. I mean, he called me, I went and picked him up, and he came home, and he was definitely very, very upset. And it was because they were making fun of him, and it uh, it had to do with race, it had to do with uh, his father being Saudi Arabian. That's when his course of which college he wanted to go to, that's when it changed? Yeah, that's when he said he was not going to go to Eastern, but he'd still go to DLSU. When you had asked the friends about that specific incident, they no one could recollect that that had taken place? Yeah, I asked one particular friend, and he said he didn't see anything like that. I didn't ask all three of them. There's three of them that he was pretty tight with all the time. There was a specific girl that I think had made the comment. Is that correct? Yeah. I've reached out to this girl. She hasn't responded to my message yet, but I want to give her the chance to be able to tell her side of the story and what she remembers. I've also reached out to the three individuals that Ginny refers to. Now, these three are Logan's closest friends. Not one of them is willing to talk. I've heard that their concerns are that this is going to be made into some sort of drama show. Well, I want to say it directly to you if you're listening to this. This isn't just for show. My motives and reasons on why I'm doing this are for good reasons. I'll say this to the three of you. Give me a call. Does he finish the entire year, his first year of college? Oh, he stayed the whole year. He didn't get any credits. He had a good group of friends that he really liked, and they liked him. I just met them briefly when they would drive over, and we'd pick him up up north when they'd come across the town. So I didn't really, I didn't know them, and I don't remember their names either. Was he dealing with depression? I don't think he was too much at that point. He was a little bit when he, you know, right after, not even a little bit, he was right after um, that one party. It was a tough summer. But I think once he got to WSU, he, um, I don't think he was depressed too much. But I don't really know what he was like over there, you know. Yeah. 
you're aware that he smokes a little pot. Yeah. Okay. I've been told that Chloe and Jake also did too. They did. Okay. Chloe is Logan's half-sister, and Jake is Chloe's boyfriend. So the three of them would smoke pot. Now, I don't know if they would smoke together. I've heard a couple of different stories, but I asked Jeannie if Logan would smoke a lot. I didn't notice it getting out of control, but then I go to work, so he had a lot of time, you know, by himself. And this shows with Logan's behavioral habits. There are times that he's up till 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. Then he'd wake up around close to noon and do it all over again. I asked Ginny to take me back to Wednesday, May 18th, 2016, and what that conversation was like between the two of them. That he had an epiphany as to who he was and he was not going to make it. Do you recall him saying that? He said he didn't know if he was going to make it. He didn't say specifically he was not going to make it. And when I asked him, he said, it's too hard to explain. Where does the conversation go from there? Well, then it was time to go to work. And I said, well, stay home and I'll talk to you when I get home. Another big mistake. So I went to work and when we got home, he wasn't here. And we pinged his phone and it came up over near where his mom lived. So I figured, well, he's visiting his mom, which happens once in a while. That's fine. As you're leaving to work, you say, hey, stay here. When I get home tonight, we'll talk about it. What time do you typically arrive back home? Probably about 5.30. That takes a little longer. Before you got home throughout the entire day, did you ever reach out to Logan and say, hey, just want to make sure you're okay after our conversation? Was there any kind of like just like check in or were you, did you not do that? I did not do that. I was pretty sure he'd be here when I got home. Did he ever say anything like that to you before? No. I wish I would have stayed home and talked to him some more. I tried to figure out what was going on, giving him maybe a chance to talk to me. You arrive back home around 530. You notice his car is not there. You've pinged his phone, and you see that he's over in the area where his mom, Hannah, lives. And this is on the 18th still, which is a Wednesday? Yeah, it was that evening. Okay. That night, did you decide just to not bother him and not call or or ask him, hey, I wanted to continue the conversation? No, because I texted him. I might have texted him, but I don't remember texting him. I figured he was at his mom's, and they were talking, because that does work for him sometimes. So He doesn't come home on the 18th on Wednesday? Right. And then on Thursday, the 19th, on the police report, it says on May 19th at approximately 600 hours, Logan left the residence wearing a black windbreaker in jeans. That was the last time Virginia saw Logan. On he must he- to come home late on the 18th. Okay. I know that he's gone a lot. I'm looking at Logan's text messages and I'm looking at who he's speaking with and the conversations that he had with Carolina and even see some from you. You sent a message to him on 518 at 1036 a.m. Correct me if I am wrong, but I'm believing that that conversation where he said he had an epiphany that happened on Wednesday, the 18th. Is that correct? I think that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Okay has that conversation with you and you sent him a text later on that morning at 10:36 a.m. you said I usually get texts and I get emails if you need me for anything I love you. Do you remember the reason why you sent that message? How it, did you get all these text messages? I requested from Thurston County the case file. I was probably just concerned about him with his epiphany he couldn't talk about and his feeling like he could he might just disappear and Did you think that that was a possibility? Or I guess, do you think that no, that's a possibility? No, I didn't think it was really a possibility. I thought it was how he was feeling, but not that he would do it. Like, did you see him when you came home after work on the 18th? I don't remember seeing him on the 18th. Is that the same night that you checked his phone location? No, because doesn't it, I think he left on the morning of the 19th. Because on the 19th... Uh, that would have been a Thursday, because on the 19th at 1.38 p.m., you sent him a text message that says, didn't see you this morning, are you okay? Yeah. Do you know if he was home on the 19th, the morning that you went to work? No, I don't remember. But that wouldn't be unusual. I wouldn't see him. 
All right, so at 1.38 on the 19th, this is Thursday now, you said, didn't see you this morning, are you okay? I don't see any text message back to you or response from him. And then at 8.45 p.m., you sent him a text message that said something wrong with your TV. What what was the context of that text message? Uh, he took his TV and put it out in the family room. Was it connected or powered up at all? No. Oh, it was just laying? He just took it out of his room and put it in the family room. And is this the night that you check his location and you see that he's over in the area that where Hannah lives, his mom? I think so. You know, my phone lines are a little, it's been a while and they get fuzzy. And it wasn't unusual not to see him because he would sleep most of the day and get up and maybe be around a little bit in the evening and then sometimes just leave and I just didn't see him a lot. What program did you use to ping his phone or see where he was at? Oh, AT&T's family program. So you see he's over in this area, and would he visit Hannah often? or He visited her from time to time. I'm not sure how often is often. That night of checking his location, which is Thursday the 19th, that night you're checking his location, he's not home yet. Did you reach out to Hannah on the 19th? No, no. Hannah and I really don't talk. Still to this day? no. Still to this day. But I saw him that area where she, where she lives, and I figured that's where he would go. Because I know he did go and talk to her. Like recently to the time, near the time of, of his disappearance? Yeah. He felt like he, she understood him better. About, understood him about like what, for example? Like the whole, um, I'm growing up and trying to move away, and I don't feel like I can, and just, um, I think that was really what he was, what was going on, that he would go and talk to her. Why am I spending so much time on the family dynamics? And we'll get to that. But as you heard, Ginny and Hannah aren't on speaking terms, and it's been that way for quite a while. The reason being, I'm not 100% sure. So Logan didn't have his mom on a regular basis. He didn't know his father. And his grandma, who's raising him, isn't on the greatest terms with his mom. You can naturally understand why this would be confusing or frustrating for Logan. Because one of the theories is that Logan chose to run away. Not because Logan was gay, but because he was trying to get in touch with the black side of his family. There was discussion that Ginny wanted to prevent that from happening. Now, a lot of this has been rumored, and Ginny has addressed that question. I know that that on the Crime Watch Daily episode, the gentleman brought up race and him feeling out of place and the party that we talked about. You know what I'm talking about, correct? Yeah. Where is that all coming from? I haven't seen that yet as far as the case file goes, but was that something that was true, that you were actually trying to prevent that relationship? No, it wasn't. Not at all. I wasn't promoting it. I wasn't trying to prevent it. My mother decided that he should know that half of the family and got a hold of um It would have been his great aunt. Tina? Tina, yeah. And he did meet with her, and so did Chloe. And did they, so I mean, I if... did not care whether they thought... If they wanted to go see them and get to know them, that was fine. And I think they both knew that. Ginny and a man by the name of Ron had a child together. That's Hannah, Logan's mom. So Ron is Logan's grandpa. Now, the summer before college, Logan visited Ron's sister, Tina. This would be Logan's great aunt. But there was nothing, like you said, I wasn't encouraging it, but I also wasn't preventing it. If they want to come and have this relationship, they can choose to do so. Why do you think, because in the episode where Tina mentions that Logan had mentioned to her while he was at her house, that you wouldn't be happy with him being there if, if you knew about that. Here's a clip of my conversation with Tina when I asked her about what Logan had said. And so he did tell me, as you probably saw in the program, when he was leaving, because I could tell that after a couple hours, he was pretty exhausted. He had a lot of information that I was giving him. And this is before he was going off to college. And I let him know that he could contact me and my little brother, my younger brother, anytime he wanted. And um, he did. We'd stay in contact with Facebook. And I could tell from his Facebook writings that he was really searching. And But he did tell me when he was leaving that afternoon when we, we had lunch, 
he goes, you know, my grandmother is going to be really upset that if she finds out that I talk to you. And I just, and I, and I, because I don't want to talk about her, I just let him know that I said, well, you're an, you're an adult, you're a grown man. I said, you can make your own decisions. And I, you're welcome to come over and talk to, to us any, any, I go anytime you want. And, um, but I could tell that he was afraid when he was telling me that. And so, James, I, for the life of me, I don't know why there is such animosity or actually hate from his grandmother towards my family. I don't know, because I've never said anything about that about them at all. So I have no idea where he decided that. And I don't know whether his mom said something and he thought that was true or what. I remember earlier when I made the point that I was going to explain why I was going into the family dynamics. Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And trust me when I say this, I'm not taking this season down a path where we're just diving into Logan's family problems. But it's important that you know that there were challenges at home. Because this is the first case I've ever had law enforcement tell me that they think he actually chose to run away. So let's go back to the theory that maybe Logan chose to leave and he's out of the country. Well, that could be the case, or he's still in the States, but wanted to take his life down a different path. Now, bear with me because I'm about to take you down Logan's family dynamics and where the confusion could possibly be for him. Logan's mom, Hannah, is half white, half black, and Logan's father, being Saudi Arabian, shows in Logan's genetics. Ginny is white. Logan's biological grandfather, Ron, is black, but they never have a relationship. Ginny does marry a man by the name of Bill. He also was white. Now, I don't know who Chloe's father is, but Chloe's skin tone is also white. In a household where his family is white and Logan looking at himself, was there any part of Logan where he felt he didn't fit in, which led to the reason of him wanting to leave? Oddly enough, if you listen to my first season, there was one individual that you guys might remember. What, you think you can get away from me? <laughs> Try it. This is Aaron Huntley, and Aaron knows Ginny because they work at the Department of Ecology together. They also happen to be neighbors. Aaron's son and Logan were around the same age and grew up playing together. Aaron had a conversation with Bill, Logan's grandfather, about what could have happened to Logan. While in discussion, Bill had mentioned his own life experience and thought that maybe Logan was dealing with it the same way. When Bill was younger, he had also ran away. Logan was being like Bill, and just the only way he knew he could get away from the situation was to leave the situation, was the impression that I got. That's a conversation that you had with Bill? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. wow. And I don't, I don't know if, I don't think that Jenny knows that I had that conversation with Bill or not, but I was pretty close with Bill, and I'm, and I'm close with Jenny. Oh, really? They were close co-workers before that happened, and then while that happened, and I think I moved moved Bill and Jenny both times, or out of the house next door and into their new place where that they were at and then uh, Aaron and I helped them move some other furniture stuff out of their mom's or sister's house. Sadly, I'm not able to talk to Bill about this. He passed away. Let's circle back to the conversation with Ginny. All right, so on the 19th, he doesn't come home. There hasn't been any correspondence or you reaching out to him since the last text message, which was something wrong with your TV around 8.45 p.m. on the 19th. I don't think I was too worried about him at that point because I figured he'd gone over to his mom and I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd stayed overnight at, at her house. Got to be Saturday is when I started really wondering what the heck was going on. Was that, that wasn't like um, him? No, not that long. His phone, um, and his phone quit. I think I couldn't, he couldn't get to his phone anymore on Saturday. So we drove around over in the area where it last pinged over on Boulevard and looked for him. We did that Saturday and Sunday because I still didn't think it was a 911 call. So I don't see any any correspondence that you had with Logan on the 20th. You're still at this point, you're, you're not worried about his well-being at this point. No, no, that was Saturday I got worried about his well-being. On the 20th, why did you not feel concerned yet since he had not been, he didn't come home on the 19th on Thursday night and on 20th, which is Friday, why was it I'm not worried yet? Just because he, he would take off, he wouldn't, didn't usually, he usually came home, but he would take off for, you know, a long period of time. And then when he'd been at his mom's, that kind of made me feel a little better. And did- then it was... Saturday morning when he wasn't at our house. Can't remember why. I think that his mom, his sister talked to his mom and he wasn't there. 
and she said she hadn't seen him for a day or two. It wasn't until I started producing the first episode that I caught that. She hadn't seen him for a day or two. This is the first time I've ever been told that Logan was at his mom's house the week that he went missing. And from what Ginny just said, it was either a day or two before that Hannah had seen Logan. I've requested Hannah to speak with me, but I also haven't gotten a response from her either. Someone reached out to, to Hannah? I think Chloe may have. Had reached out to Hannah on what day? It's probably Friday. Yeah, I may have asked her to. Because your relationship with Hannah is not the, not the best. It's broken. You asked Chloe to reach out to ask if Logan is over there, which she does. And you think that this all took place on... I think it took place either Friday night or Saturday morning. Was there a thought of, hey, we should just call the police? We talked about it and and thought that that it really wouldn't be an emergency. You know, we don't contact the police. We don't really, you know, what I should have done and what I did. So we waited till Monday and we went in. We took a picture and went into the, <clears throat> excuse me, the sheriff's office. Looking back, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, I would have called 911. I would have done that as soon as I knew that he wasn't at his mom. And even then, it would have been late. Because we went in and did the missing persons report. I think she was a sergeant. Carter told us that he was an adult and he was um, allowed to just disappear. Oh. So that was very something. Technically, that's true. Then she called about 4 o'clock and told me that um, his car had been picked up and we could go get it at the private impound where they picked it up. And that's when I found out the car had been picked up on Friday and the state patrol had done that and nobody contacted us. But the registration was in the glove box. If you ran the license plate, it would have come up with us. Which is frustrating because if they would have just contacted you guys the day it was impounded, you know, you guys would have been able to know this on Friday. Yeah, and things could have gotten started a lot sooner. They might have done something. You can hear Ginny's voice. She sounds defeated. A voice that has regret. A position today that she wishes she would have just called 911. Putting differences and feelings aside and called Hannah. Instead of going to work, choosing to stay home and giving Logan the opportunity to be able to say and share how he was feeling. Those are the regrets that Ginny lives with today. My heart breaks for her because in the daily routine of life, you never think that one of your loved ones is just going to disappear. And again, the challenge with Logan's case is there are so many different things that we're going to dive into this season, and I'm going to need your guys' help. Given that Logan disappeared four years ago, some of the details, such as exact times or dates, are a little muddled. After reading the case file and speaking with Ginny, I want to clear up some of the details or confusion. Logan spoke with Ginny on Wednesday morning around 7.30 a.m. That's when he says to her that he's had an epiphany and that he didn't know if he was going to make it. Later that morning, Ginny does check in with Logan and sends him a text message at 10.36 a.m. and says, I usually get texts and I get emails. If you need me for anything, I love you. Now, Logan replies at 4.23 p.m. and says, Okay, thank you. I love you too. Now, even though Ginny did request Logan to stay home, he did leave. Ginny arrives back home after work and Logan is not home. From my investigation, it appears Logan does arrive home, but it's not until the early morning of the 19th. I believe it's around 3 a.m. that he arrives back. The next day, Ginny sends Logan a text at 1.38 p.m. and says, Didn't see you this morning. Are you okay? Logan never replies. Now, on the 19th, it appears that Logan is awake around 11.30 a.m., which would make sense if he went to bed around 3 a.m. At some point, he leaves the house, and it's my understanding that Logan's half-sister, Chloe, was the last person to see Logan, which is why Thurston County has a description of what Logan was wearing when he left the house. I've tried to speak with Chloe about what she remembers that morning, but she also won't speak with me. When Ginny comes home from work Thursday evening, she sends Logan another text message at 8.45 p.m. and asks, Is something wrong with your TV? Logan doesn't respond, and this is when I think Ginny checks his location and sees that he's in an area where his mom Hannah lives and assumes he's at her house. On Friday the 20th, I believe that Ginny comes home from work, Logan isn't home, and his phone battery is dead at this point. That's when Ginny requests Chloe to contact Hannah to see if Logan is over there. That's when they find out he's not. Now at this point, Ginny was going to file the missing person report, but the sheriff's office is closed. On Monday, May 23rd, Ginny files the missing person report around 11 a.m. After picking up the Chrysler Sebring and bringing it back home, Ginny takes Logan's phone out of the car and plugs the charger in. 
When Logan's phone turns on, it's 5.20 p.m. And I'd like to add that 12 different text messages all come in on Logan's phone at 5.22 p.m. These messages were from family trying to get a hold of Logan over the weekend. Jenny says that she couldn't get in Logan's phone because she didn't have his password, but does mention that Facebook opens up. I think that this was some sort of notification that came through on his phone as she powered it on because you wouldn't be able to access Facebook if the phone was locked. Remember that this all happened on the 23rd because that Facebook notification creates more confusion for Detective Beale. Next time on Hide and Seek. I'm actually pretty nervous for this one. Phone call attempt to Adele Barnaway. I mean, how do you prepare for a conversation like this? You know what I mean? Hey, Adele? Probably wondering who I am. Yeah. (laughs) So, gosh, where do I start? Um, okay, you came to Washington back in 95? You were in Seattle? Do you remember a gal by the name of Hannah? Hannah? Yeah, her name is Hannah? No. Okay, her, her name was Hannah Schindelman. I don't know if, if anybody has ever contacted you or ever reached out to you, but Hannah had a child. And Hannah said that you were the father of that child. Did he leave and get out of the United States and was able to, you know, somehow get in contact with you 